I would be so pissed if like the person next to me during Defying Gravity like pulled out a camera and like for the most important 90 seconds of my life like I have to worry that an usher is gonna stop and like obstruct my view like that's terrifying. <laughs> I love that you compared Defying Gravity to the most important 90 seconds of your life. I mean it is while it's happening like nothing else matters. <laughs> My name's Quincy. My name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men. But keep your thumb away from that skip button. We're here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. I would say new year, new us, but we are back on our several time zone bullshit here in 2021. Like already off to a chaotic start. (laughs) Truly off to just chaos. You just stood in line and got COVID tested. I woke up at five o'clock in the morning, a little hungover, a little sleep deprived, and here we are. You know, it's like the more things change, the more they stay the same. (laughs) Real quick, how are you? Like, how is your holidays? How is your new year so far? Yeah, it was good. I feel like we, we definitely have been talking over this break, but not as frequently, I think, as we normally do. I know. It was kind of nice. Not not like a break from you, but like to take a just like a little breather from the pod was nice. It, yeah, to kind of unplug from everything I think yeah. was much needed. Much needed. But I'm back feeling refreshed and better than ever, ready to go 2021. Yes. Having fun in 21. <laughs> um today on this beautiful morning it's morning for both of us right now so that works we have your friend and mine jason wilkes coming on the podcast jason is a wicked stan i don't want to say how many times he's seen wicked because i feel like that should be his thunder to have yeah but he is also an age-old internet friend of mine we came together when i was probably 12 or 13 really really young I stumbled into the deep, dark world of Wicked slash Broadway bootlegging. And when I say, like, the world, like, I feel like there are tiers of Broadway bootlegging. And there's people who get their bootlegs on YouTube and through social media. And then there's people who are getting it straight from the source and on the boards and trading links and all of that kind of stuff. And I somehow met Jason through that. And we became, quote unquote, trading partners, (laughs) which I don't want to get too much into because I feel like we'll talk about it but yeah so we were trading partners and we just kind of kept in touch as the years have gone on we've both moved away from trading broadway bootlegs but it definitely was a very involved time in our life and i think it's going to be fun because like how versed are you in the like deep world of bootlegging i know it's there like i know that it exists i prob i like know enough to have the conversation that we're about to have But I am Mm -hmm. definitely not as far into it as you are. But I think that that's, I think that's fun because it's... I think that's exciting. I think it's exciting. And it's fun because it's, I feel like James was kind of an extension of my point of view of this fandom. And I feel like Jason is very much a bonus of like your point of view on this fandom. Yeah. I've been talking to actually some friends while I've been home for the holidays about this podcast. And I was like, you know, it's really interesting because I think Kevin and I are so alike, but we both bring a very different, um, I think we think about this show in a different way, which has benefited the podcast, I think. Yeah, I think so too. It'd be boring if we, if it was just like two of me or two of you sitting here agreeing with each other for an hour at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jason's actually going to do our Suck on SJB, so we don't have to do that. Love that, because I don't have one. (laughs) 
Okay, thank you so much for coming, Jason. We're so excited to do this. I know. It's been a long time coming. Long time coming. We normally in our intro we do stuck on SJB, but I asked you if you wanted to do that today because you are also a SJB stan. Sure. Do you have something ready? Yes. It's something we've all seen before. It's the Stephanie J. Block Defying Gravity Pro Shot video. Uh, the classic. The classic. They still play at the Gershwin, at least as as of the last time I saw it. But that was like the thing that got me reintroduced to Wicked. So it was like very monumental for me. And also like, I'm trying to think, I must have been like 11 when I first saw it. So that was like the thing that like taught me what a riff was or like an alternate melody, shall we call it? Um, <laughs> what alternate melody is she doing in that? Oh, like look to the Western sky, that whole. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Like yeah. now I don't even think of that as like, alter- like so many people do it. But um, mm-hmm. that was like my first lesson in musical theater. Like it taught me like, <laughs> that is a video that will forever stay in my mind. And when it comes on, I never, I never skip through it. Like if it's just on YouTube, I will always mm-hmm. watch it. Yeah. That was also the first video I saw of like the flying portion of Defying Mm -hmm. Gravity. I remember right when I first moved to the city after college, I was like near Port Authority and it was like up on one of the big screens. And I remember like looking up and being like, oh, Stephanie J. Block is right there. Everything's going to be okay. It's a good day. (laughs) That makes me wonder. So was there like an OBC ad campaign? I don't think so. I don't remember. I mean, I'm sure there was, but not with any kind of like... Like, there's no Adina commercial. No, 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 no. I'm sure that the original commercial... Oh, no, the original commercial was, like, close-ups of the artwork, right? What Am I making that up? It was, like, zoomed in on, like... I feel like the, you would be the one to remember it. you're probably right. It was before our time. <laughs> I don't know. If, if anyone older than me is listening, <laughs> let me know if I'm right. I wonder if they're going to switch it out to Jackie Burns at some point. I think they have. Oh, have they? Like, in the lobby. Oh, not in the lobby, but like promotionally, it's it's all Jackie. That's cute. I kind of hope they don't. I think it's just such like a, a nice little like intermission treat. You know, you just saw Divine Gravity and then you get it again, like with Stephanie J. Block. Yes. They make sure that everyone has heard Stephanie's Divine Gravity. <laughs> it's honestly a move we would make. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for that suck on SJB, Jason. That was great. Yeah. Oh, it brought back good memories. Of Thank you, Jason. <laughs> All right, so we usually begin every interview, you know the drill, by asking when Wicked first came into your life. When did you discover it? Okay, so there's like a twofold answer to this. I saw Wicked the first time, I think I was seven or just turned eight. Aw, that's cute. Yeah, it was my first big show, and it was the first national tour in Philadelphia, because that was before I lived in New York. To be real with you, it wasn't like I remember very specific moments. But you were young. Yeah, it was like before I was into theater and... But I remember my mom still says, like, she was impressed that it was, like, way past my bedtime. And I was, like, very focused. (laughs) So, like, I had that going. But then, like, a few years later, when I was, like, getting into theater myself, I, like, came across the Stephanie J. Block Defying Gravity on YouTube. And I just remember being, like, whoa, like, I've never heard singing like this before. So, like, I got into this, like, well of bootlegs and like all these different Defying Gravity renditions but I only would listen to Defying Gravity because I was like I don't want to hear anything else until I see the show again (laughs) so then I I think yeah in seventh grade I saw it again because I was like begging my parents to take me and that's when the monster was born that's when the monster (laughs) was born who was it in seventh grade well who was it on tour and who was it in seventh grade on tour it was Julia Murney oh wow love that right 
I like wish I could remember it better. I feel like so like <laughs> mad that I I know, I know. The fact that you got to see Julia Murney, but you were so young. Yeah. And then in when I saw it again in middle school, it was Mandy Gonzalez and Katie Rose Clark. Ooh. That's a good cast. So that was like the reintroduction. And then I ended up moving to New York City right before high school. And my high school was two blocks away from the Gershwin Theater. So like that's how I, you know saw it so many times okay yeah so how many times have you seen wicked jason we're up to 57 wow i know (laughs) there's there's no excuse for it like i can't there's no way i can talk about it and make it sound less crazy all i can say is the majority of those times were during those four years of high school when it was so accessible to me sure Uh that's crazy 57 because it's like i feel like that's when we entered each other's lives and i feel like you were seeing wicked like every single day and i was just like this kid yeah so i I guess this is like where we're getting into but i guess when i was like 13 14 this whole bootleg empire began and (laughs) i think quincy i think you reached out to me first yeah okay so kevin knows about the bootleg world but he's not like well versed in like the minutia of it all because i do think it's way more layered than people realize yeah for sure so before we get to like how i reached out to you let's start with explaining just baseline how it all worked at least from my understanding i fell into it i think because on youtube i would keep seeing like visit my website to trade or something and i was like wait what what does this mean and then I like started looking at websites and I honestly think that's how I found you, Jason, because I think you were like YouTubing bootlegs back in the day. Yeah. And then so I found what, your website and I think I found out about like trading starter packs as they were called. And it's like you could, re- <laughs> it's crazy. You could like reach out to traders and be like, hi, I'm new. Like, do you want to like start me off with some bootlegs so I can have it? And then you take those and you have to like hustle and trade it for other things. And that's how you build your collection correct and you know side note i think it's crazy that i had like a trading website because i don't know how to make a website anymore like if you were to tell me to build a website like i'd have no idea yeah it was weebly (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. i remember i had this like being 13 this was like the riskiest thing i ever did like i had like this moral compass back then of like oh my god this is illegal it's bad and then i i fell into it it sucked me in So then you have your website and on everyone's homepage of the website would be this like legal disclaimer being like, I don't own any of this. Uh, if you're a police, something or other did nothing. If anyone's listening to this, it means nothing. Like, don't, don't think that'll save you. It will not. <laughs> um, so I started this YouTube channel infamously would get shut down by copyright like every month. So it started at like Jason 28 and then we'd go down mm-hmm. to like Jason 27, Jason 26, Jason 29. And I think like Jason 25 was like the longest running one. It lasted like five years. And then my freshman year of college, it got terminated. And I was like, this is a sign. I was like, I'm grown now. I was like, I think it's time to leave this chapter behind. Yeah. Yeah. So then you and I were like in contact that way. And then somehow it escalated to like us being trading partners, which explain what like that meant for us. I feel like this is like the most Gen Z thing to ever happen. Like this like online <laughs> like business partnership. So essentially you were you were better at this. Like you created like a Google Doc. And so mm-hmm. what we would do is we would individually trade, we would conduct our business, 
and we, whatever bootlegs we got, we would share in the stock. So basically anything I had, Quincy also had. Um, mm-hmm. And vice versa. That's cute. Yes. And it was like, because the way you traded was you sent like, you sent like these like mega co download links or whatever. So you could just like compile a Google Doc of all these download links for different bootlegs. And it was like categorized by like year and who was in the boot and stuff. And honestly, like pretty high level stuff for a bunch of like preteens to be doing together. Yeah. Yes. And I always still like wonder about like, did people know we were like 12? Like, I don't like. <laughs> well, it's funny too, because I feel like that's like something that's just like uh, a difference that like the couple of years between us make. Because like when I was 10, 11, 12, and like all of the internet was very new, like we all had the fear of God put in us about the internet, like at school, like we would have school assemblies where police officers would come in and be like, only use the internet for homework. There was like a very concentrated effort to make us afraid of the internet. And so I think I like probably just missed the cutoff where I was like, yeah, I'll torrent some shit to like hear, to hear <laughs> Stephanie J. Block sing Defying Gravity. So it's like, I mean, it's crazy for me. Like, Well, there was like a moment. I remember it was so funny. I asked Quincy one day and this was like months after we already like were into trading I was like by the way how old are you I was so scared I was like what if like this whole time he's like 70 I had been thinking that you were like this older male and it was like so taboo that I was like having this relationship with this like old guy who was like (laughs) and then we like broke the ice that we were actually the same exact age like we're the same age it's okay like thank god so, like, we had been trading bootlegs. I had seen Wicked through bootlegs a bajillion times before it ever, because I was just, like, a 13-year-old kid in Hawaii. Wicked wasn't coming to Hawaii for the longest time. And then I remember it was announced that it was coming. And, like, Jason, you were literally the first person I emailed. Yeah. And it was like, oh, my God, it's coming. And then I would send you an update after every show. I literally, yeah. Jason, I went back to find the emails. I thought about reading it on this podcast, but it's honestly, like, a little too tragic to, like, <laughs> Can I say one thing though, like one part of the email that that sticks out in my mind to this day? Oh my god! I remember <laughs> you said you were honored to hear Di Rossioli optioned up on the second "Bring Me Down." You <laughs> used the word "honored." You're like, I was honored to be in this performance. <laughs> oh my god! Which like still tracks. Kevin and I were just talking about our favorite options, of course. And then at some point. I somehow discovered like the Yahoo groups where like the masters were posting about their releases. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, it's basically the person who did the bootlegging, the person who recorded it. Because usually how trading would work is usually like the bootleg would be sold for a period of time. Like you could only buy it for however much money and then eventually it'd be allowed to be like traded off. Right. I never, I never really was into that. I always thought it was like odd. Mm -hmm. The idea of selling it was always like... Mm -hmm. Not right to me. Yeah. And it was also like, these people were probably making bank. Oh, yeah. Because they were like, it was like $25 a bootleg. Mm -hmm. Which like is how much the Wicked Lottery is. And you could do it. (laughs) Right. You could pay for your ticket if you sell it to five people. Exactly. It was like a good business model, I guess, for them. I guess. But then I think that's also like why my like YouTube channel is like infamous because I would leak them. (laughs) 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 They would be like, you must pay for it. Like, nah. You get it for free. I remember I had seen that like a Mamie Paris tour bootleg had been released and you had it and I like emailed you begging for it. And it was like such a big deal that you gave it to me before the, because they would have like not for trade dates. It was like NFT was the acronym. And that was like the date that you could like trade it after. And Mm -hmm. it was normally like months you had to hold on to it. And you like gave me the Mamie Paris bootleg beforehand. Because I think at that point I thought I was going to like see her on tour when I came to Hawaii, but she had left by then. 
Yeah, I think I I don't know like exactly I because I stopped trading before junior senior year of high school like around that time. It's like a side hustle. Like it really is. Like you have to be on it like every day, messaging people, answering emails, like negotiating. Yeah. That was always the funniest part. Like this idea of like currency. Like this mm-hmm. made Paris bootleg was like had to be worth something else rare. It couldn't be like a standard thing everyone had. Yeah, exactly. Like depending on who was in the bootleg, yes. it affected the like rareness of it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say, I think as you're talking about this idea of like the master and like the master um, like recordings, I don't know if I didn't know that or if I'm just like remembering that I knew that hearing you guys talk about it. But I'm now hearing that I'm like, oh, well, that's probably what like what uh, maybe a generation ago of performers hear the word bootlegging and probably think like someone is selling a recording of my performance which is like mm. of, of, like I of course you have an issue with that it feels like there is like a disconnect between like what we Tears. call bootlegging and what perhaps people are thinking is bootlegging <laughs> that's true too because I feel like we've talked about this before Kevin but it's like to come after the 13 year old kid who just loves wicked and is like trying to get more bootlegs so he can watch it in his freaking bedroom I think is carries a different weight than like the adult who's going to the show recording it and then selling it to the 13 year old kids. Yes. You know? Yeah. 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 I also think like, just like the attitude of bootlegging has changed. Cause it's a relatively, I don't want to say it's recent, but I think like with the introduction of YouTube and like Instagram and all of that, it is recent. Cause like, I remember I saw Shoshana Bean talk about how, like when she first started in wicked, she would like personally message people when she saw like a bootleg posted of herself and be like, please take it down. I don't know if it's, it's preventable at this point. I don't know. I, I think it's interesting how like the attitude of it has changed, but also like obviously Quincy, I'm sure maybe you feel the same way. Like the way I view it now as a grown up versus like 13 years old, not really thinking that these are like actual people with like lives that are, were like trading around their shows, like whatever. Like it, it's just different. Like I think there's a different awareness. For sure. Because I think there was something, especially when we were younger, and I'd be interested to hear your take, because, like, for me, bootlegs was, like, the only way I was accessing Wicked in the sense where, like, it was such an unattainable thing for me, where I was like, oh, that's, like, in New York, I'm all the way in Hawaii. It felt, like, so crazy to me, just the idea of, like, the mainland, even. But for you, you're, like, training bootlegs of these people, and you're also, like, seeing these people live. That's interesting. I feel like, for me, the reason why, it was mostly about being able to see people who I who were like before my time, I guess, before I started. So before Mandy Gonzalez era, I think for me, I just like always was fascinated by like the idea that the same show and these same roles could be performed so many different ways. And that's also why I would see it in person so many times, because I think it was just like so fascinating to be able to see it done so many different ways. I personally got more into like audios, I think. I just like, after I saw it a certain amount of times, like I just wanted to hear how people sang it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the audios were like easier to like maintain, I feel like. Oh yeah. Doing all the video downloading and stuff. Yeah. But that's interesting. I never really thought about it. Like, I guess I'm just that obsessed. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I could see it online. I could see it in person. Didn't matter. Like, I loved all of it. You've seen it at the grocery and going home, turning on a bootleg. <laughs> Honestly, I've done that. Isn't that bad? Like, I like not sad though it's incredible but i think like the bootlegs have given us such like a foundational knowledge of wicked whereas like if we had to rely on only the times we've seen it live i don't think we would be able to discuss the show in such depth i certainly wouldn't (laughs) know (laughs) oh absolutely and i've actually 
here's something I've been thinking about that I'm curious about your thoughts on. I guess I'm always like suspicious or curious if someone new comes into the show and does like a vocal choice that has clearly been done like five years before. Like sometimes I wonder, is it because like Wicked's been around for so long? Like does that, does that person think they're creating that choice? Or are they like conscious that it has been done before maybe yeah. in, like a different production like eight years prior? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's interesting. Any, I feel like anybody after like Caroline Bowman is lying to me if they tell me they haven't ever watched a bootleg ever. Maybe not like recently, mm-hmm. like after you were cast. They've never come across a bootleg. Never, ever <laughs> sunk to the low of watching a green slime tutorial on YouTube. I also, we were kind of touched on it earlier. Like, do you think the Broadway shutdown has kind of impacted? Because it seems like right now it, there's a very, like, pro-bootleg attitude. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. The shutdown, like, this is all we have right now. So, like, people mm-hmm. are enjoying it more. But what I will say is, at least from my mind, like, the thing I do like about it that for me has always been the case is, like, it's a celebration of, like, these incredible performers. I, I like that we're all, like, able to praise someone who sounds amazing or does something amazing. Um, yeah. I think it always had like this negative connotation of like it's meant to be toxic and compare and mm-hmm. like that is the truth yeah. for some people, which is not good. But yeah, because it definitely can be toxic and absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, another thing too that I was thinking about recently is when Rebecca Luger passed away. Everybody was just sharing and sharing and sharing all these videos, and it was so nice. And I think it was it was Julia Murney who like tweeted, and she was like, "Any young people who want to like learn about how to." how to be in the arts and how to, you know, have stage presence or blah, 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 like watch all of these videos that people are sharing of Rebecca Luker. And I got to thinking, I was like, it's like Mm -hmm. all of these videos are exist, not even just to expose the show to people, but to expose the art form of theater. Like, I I feel Mm -hmm. like if we took a poll of any, any artist involved in theater who is like our age and is like, what made you go into this? A big majority of them are going to be like, oh, I was watching a bootleg of X, Y, or Z show in my Mm -hmm. basement when I was 12, and that's what did it for me. And so I think, like, big picture, it's like, I I think there's much more good that's coming out of this than bad. I think bootlegs are net good for the industry. Yeah, and I think they're net good for this period of time where, like, everything is shut down. It's like keeping all of us together in a conversation. That's very true. I was also going to say, like, even as, like, a marketing tool for a show like Wicked that, like, I think Wicked thrives off of the fact that it is bootleg so heavily and that, like, people have that touch point for it and then can go and want to see it yeah. live, you know? It's not, like, some hush-hush thing, like, before all the Hamilton bootlegs came out. I feel like it's, like, if you hadn't seen it, then you're kind of just like, okay. I feel like Hamilton proved the point we had all along about, like, a recording being accessible to people is not going to prevent people from wanting to see the show. Because, like, mm-hmm. obviously they released this video during shutdown, but they did, like, a legal, fully recorded production of Hamilton that's, like, on Disney+. Plus. Obviously, we don't know yet, but I guarantee, like, their ticket sales are not going to suffer when Broadway <laughs> comes back because yeah. it's available on Disney+, Plus. you know? Yeah, definitely. And I we were talking about it in a previous ep, how, like... I wonder if the Diana musical being on Netflix, say that finds some audience on Netflix and like develops because like I we're not necessarily sure how it would have done on Broadway, but like and then it comes back on Broadway and now has this rabid fan base mm-hmm. because of the Netflix show yeah. and then does really well on Broadway. 
I think that'd be a cool case in point. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I hadn't put it in that context, Quincy, of like the two big like streaming musical record or presentations that have come out will be Hamilton and Diana, like what, which are opposite ends of like the fandom spectrum at this point because yeah. because Diana couldn't have had a a, a fandom yet. Um, yeah. So that's re- that's really interesting. I'll be curious to compare those results. Or even if like Diana is one of the new, because I feel like we're going to see like a lot of shows not come back to Broadway when all of this is over. Mm-hmm. But like if Diana is one of them that gets to come back, I would attribute it to the Netflix special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like the last thing I think about bootlegging, I will say, I think Quincy and I were both like as much as you can doing what we did, like we're relatively nice. Like I, I never would post something that I thought made someone like look bad or yeah. never like, Again, we'd be like bitchy to each other about like, oh my god, did you hear this? Yeah, but like, yeah. it would never leave the email. <laughs> <laughs> the email. It was never like public, you know? Exactly. Like, Wicked has thousands of well-intentioned 13-year-olds just marketing for them. You know? <laughs> yes. That's true. And they have had for two decades. The kids who are like now finding the show are like as into it as like we were when we, you know, in 2005. Which is crazy that the staying power of that. Yeah, they just keep getting new crops of fans as the kids grow up. Yeah. And I do feel like people are getting nicer as like time goes on. Like I think the fan culture of Wicked was very toxic and like dark. I think probably even like Kevin when you were like getting into it. And then I think like as the years have gone by, it's maybe gotten nicer mm-hmm. in general, I think. I do think that there is like energy from the show coming to the fandom being like, pump the brakes, guys. (laughs) Calm it down. (laughs) It's a musical. (laughs) It's funny because like the message of the show is like all about acceptance and friendship and love and all of that. Exactly. And I feel like in the fandom, it, it gets crazy. Jason, we played this game in our pilot episode and also with James Kennedy. And I think because you've seen the show 57 times, you're a great person to play (laughs) Alpha Bowl with. Do you understand the concept of it? We pull a name and then we decide whether they're Defying Gravity, Wizard and I, or No Good Deed, Alphaba. Which I gotta say has been really fun, like having Alphabas that we've done this for on and then having them tell us what they think they are and confirming if we're right or wrong. (laughs) It's like pretty split. We're not, I like that we're not like right every time. And the name, oh, Rachel Tucker. We haven't done this, right? Uh Uh-uh. Jason, I would love for you to start. Rachel is a true triple threat, I must say. I would have to say Wizard and I only because she invented the melt that is very important. I also think her Wizard and I, especially on Broadway, just kept getting like better and better. So I'm going to say Wizard and I, but really all of them. I agree because of the same reason for the melt. I also agree with that. So Rachel Tucker, you're going to Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) she's the mother of that choice you know what i mean like whenever another woman does that choice i'm like oh that's the rachel tucker choice and it's like a riff that makes sense kevin you love a justified vocal choice i love it she also executes it so well because it happens like fast enough you know what i mean i feel like that's like one where if it happens slowly it's not gonna it's not gonna land like yeah it's like clean it is clean Clean. okay awesome wow total agreement total agreement yeah i don't think that's ever happened Okay, next name. Uh, Caroline Bowman. Oh, Caroline. 
I love her. We finally got to her. Oh, she's going to be so excited. <laughs> okay, well, this is hard because now we know what she considers herself, which is kind of, so now I'm trying to like regress my opinion. I'll go first for this one. I recognize and understand like what she was saying about how the end of Defying Gravity, like that battle cry is like something that's really important to her in her take on the role so i i like get that and like for that i understand like she is a defying gravity alphaba but i do feel like the energy of caroline bowman the person who we were lucky enough to like spend an hour talking to is very the wizard and i like i feel like she she is that alphaba in her life but perhaps her performance is a defying gravity. you know what i mean she's just got that like exactly warm openness that is not in the other two songs. I agree. I think she is a Wizard Eye Alphaba for the same reason, but I think she brings that energy to her performance as well. I think she's a very young Alphaba. Like her Alphaba feels very young, and I think that comes through in the Wizard and I the most. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to say Defying Gravity. I'm going to say she's a Defying Gravity Alphaba mm-hmm. because I remember so specifically, like when I watched her, she had such. I also care a lot about like. I used to be a person who's like all about the last 90 seconds, but now like I do care about like the arc of the song. I love that journey for you, Jason. <laughs> right? Growth. <laughs> but Caroline, I thought, showed the entire journey of that song mm-hmm. so beautifully. Like I, I remember after the whole Madame Morble Wicked Witch speech, like Caroline looking so, there was just so much going on that was so visible. And that that stuck with me and how she took that into the beginning of the song and like the arc through the end. I thought like Mm -hmm. she acted that song beautifully and her voice is like insane. But yeah, I will say though for Wizard and I, she, I think like the way she sings things I've never felt, even though to score is so booming and powerful. And I love that for her. I love that she is a score alphabet and she's like a strong score alphabet. Yeah. Strong score alphabet. Yes. She finds ways to be creative, like as a score alphabet, which I think like not every score alphabet does as much of. Like I she's agree. like a score plus alphabet. Like it's very recognizably Caroline Bowman. And uh-huh. I think she's singing in a way that's very specific to her without changing the notes. I, I also thought that of um, Lindsay Mendez is another one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Like, mostly a score alphabet, but like still very uniquely, like, yeah. it does feel like we're kind of having a renaissance of the score alphabet, like with the newer Broadway ladies. I think they're kind of making them do it. Yeah. I think they're trying to Rain it in. reel it in before a movie gets made. <laughs> <laughs> you might be right. It is weird. Like, there are definitely phases. Like, that is the cool thing about being like a wicked fan through the year is like years. Is like you can tell they're like 2012 to like 2015 were like the years of like riffs. There was like Christine Dwyer and Jennifer mm-hmm. Denoya and Alyssa Fox, and like there was mm-hmm. all these like huge choices. And then I feel like it kind of like reeled in, in the past two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Jason, this has been so much fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. What a cool bow tie on our from 13 years old bootlegging to now. <laughs> no, it's like literally nine years later. Where can people find you online if they want to keep up with Jason Wilkes? Yeah, other than your Weebly site, where can they find uh, you online? <laughs> I mean, if you really want to, I'm on Instagram at Jason A. Wilkes. I am very active on the, the sentimental <laughs> men Instagram. <laughs> That's funny. Jason, thank you so much. This was so much fun. I'm glad we did this. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. It was really fun. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Quincy. Kevin. I had an idea while we were just talking to Jason that there should be a movie exactly like Hustlers. Okay. But instead of Hustlers, I'm Julia Stiles. And I am interviewing all of the infamous bootleg kids from the early 2000s. And it's all about the bootleg kids getting chased by these full-grown adults who don't know how to catch them because they don't know how to use the internet. I think there's something there. (laughs) It is funny because, like, I literally was, like, going to school during the day thinking that, like, at any moment I could, like, a cop would bust in. Like, a SWAT <laughs> team would bang down your your math room door. Like, it was, like, high level. I thought I could go to jail at any yeah, second. you were running a little crime <laughs> ring. When in actuality, I feel like the police have bigger fish to fry than the 13-year-old kid trying to <laughs> trade wicked bootlegs. It is funny. I mean... I think that is probably something that is part of the reason so many theater kids and and teenagers specifically are like drawn to bootleg culture is because it is kind of like dangerous. You know, it's like you're like doing something. It's our version of like being an angsty teenager. Yeah, it's like you're doing something that you know is wrong, but it's like low enough impact that like you're probably going to be okay. Yeah. Do you know anybody who's ever gotten like legal action taken or anything? No, literally no. Yeah, I feel like anytime there's ever an issue, if anyone I know, it's literally just been like, hey, can you take this down? Yeah, sure. And then they just upload it somewhere yeah. else. Especially I'm like, we talked about like the masters who are actually selling it. I think if anyone's getting in trouble, it would be those people. Right. On your hustlers idea. Yeah. <laughs> it is very interesting because there are a group of like, I would say, Jason included, like four or five boys that like, we were all the same age doing the bootlegging thing that I have stayed yeah. in touch with through the internet, just like we follow each other. And that's like the extent of our relationship. But it is like interesting that like we have this like kind of relationship because we were all just trading wicked bootlegs when we a decade plus ago, you know? Yeah. It's like a crazy culture. What's your take now that you have a deeper look? Bootleg culture is interesting because even like hearing you guys talk about it, there was like a couple things that I'm like, I feel like maybe like there used to be people who would trade on like people on like live journal and stuff Mm -hmm. would like be not like actively trading, but like using like you were saying, like visit my website to trade or whatever. Like I would see that on live journal all the time. Um, And so it's like even funny that just by a couple of years, like it had already grown and changed uh, between my heyday and yours. Because I'm sure there's a generation of kids right now who might be listening to this and like this is not their bootlegging experience like i think i'm sure it's i'm sure it's not no i'm sure it's on snapchat now or something (laughs) i think that just dated you the fact that snapchat was your touch point (laughs) (laughs) quincy i'm a hundred you're like what's hip snapchat (laughs) that was like really cute and funny that you did that it was definitely i loved hearing you guys talk about it because there was Uh, such a level of like structure to this world that I knew from the outside but not from the inside like I knew where to look for things but not I never traded with anybody Mm -hmm. like and I like my experience bootlegging was always like okay like it's it's January and Shoshana Bean is going in to the role so probably by the summer I'll be able to hear her doing it like I would think of it in that way I never got into the like pay to watch or like trading game so it was always like a couple month delay before things would like start trickling onto youtube mm. so i guess like that was my big takeaway from talking to jason was like understanding the 
timeline from the other yeah. end. Because I will say that was the nice thing about, like, granted, you had to pay for it, but, like, getting it directly from the Masters, it was like, oh, so-and-so is going into the show, the Master will, like, send out the announcement email the next week because they always made sure that they were, like, at the culturally relevant moments, even, like, beyond Wicked for any Broadway thing. Like, if there was a Mm -hmm. buzzy replacement or if, like, a new show was opening that was kind of buzzy, like, they always made sure they were at those performances. So it was kind of nice to have immediate access to, like, high-quality bootlegs of these cultural moments. And it's funny, too, because now now I'm, like, thinking about it. I'm like, we've been talking about this only in the context, really, of Wicked. But now I'm, like, thinking back and I'm like, oh, no, like, I would spend, I would stay up until, like, three in the morning going through every Broadway show, finding every, like, I'd be like, okay, like, I'll start with Wicked tonight. And I would, like, go and see, like, watch 10 Wicked videos. And then I'd be like, oh, okay, like, now let me watch, like, I don't know, Rent videos. And I would watch, like, a 10 different videos from that. Yeah. And then I, and so it, it really is just, like, so vast. Yeah. And, like, for every, like, you and Jason that was, like, trading partners, like, doing Wicked, there was that for every show times however many well it's it's interesting like hearing you talk about that i wish we had thought of this when jason was on but like wicked was definitely the gateway into my broadway bootlegging and then i started building out like the other broadway shows but every broadway bootleg trading site at least when i was trading and in my world there was a tab that said wicked dvds and then Mm -hmm. another tab that said other shows and everyone had other shows and it was just every other broadway thing and it makes me wonder if like wicked kind of paved the way for this like intense bootleg culture of Broadway because it was always wicked and then other shows and it was everything else. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a couple factors to that, right? Like it was, it was like a blockbuster. So it was hot topic. Mm. It's in a really big theater. So it's probably easier to bootleg in that theater than it is the booth in the booth. Right. And then like once it was running long enough that it was like, Oh, Hey, like here's this really hard thing. And we have five people to compare doing it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, like, Wicked opened, like, as the lightning was striking in internet and bootleg culture, Mm -hmm. it was, like, the perfect storm of, like, this is opening at the right time in the right theater. It is the right level of difficulty, and it is the right, there is the right level of demand Mm -hmm. for it, that it was kind of, like, the perfect show for the bootleg industry, if I may call it an (laughs) industry, to, like, move forward with. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Oh, it was kind of nice going back to those days. <laughs> You're back to the sandbox. For you. <laughs> to the sandbox. Um, Kevin, it feels like it's been so long since I've said this to you. Well, since last since year. Last year. Um, uh, I think it's time for Kevin's Galinda Corner. Okay, so this isn't really so much like a Glinda Corner as it is just like a, a Glinda like paint swatch on the wall um (laughs) so since we're talking so much about like youtube and bootlegs today and so then i started thinking like okay what is my favorite glinda video Mm. on youtube and i was going through all my favorite bootlegs and i was like i know what it is so back in the day 14 years ago to be exact on february 3rd 2006 an account called shoshana bean online uploaded a video called Backstage with Shoshana Bean, part 4A. And so this account has, I think, um, like six or seven videos total, and they're all just like the blueprint for Fly Girl with Lindsay Mendez. And so it's just like Shoshana Bean backstage, 
But in part 4A, we are treated to a video of Shoshana Bean just like sitting in Megan Hilty's dressing room waiting for her to get out of the shower. <laughs> and so then like Megan Hilty comes out of the shower, they do like a cute little like shtick. And then Megan shows the camera this video or this picture and they're both in their clo- their curtain call costumes. Uh-huh. Like Megan's in the, the blue dress and Shoshana's in the act two dress but they have switched wigs. And so it's this really jarring um, effect of like this like Elphaba with child pageant hair and then like a Glinda with share hair. (laughs) Wait, I want to see this picture. It's like such a dumb moment, but I think about it all the time because I think as a kid, I was like obsessed with this idea because Megan and Shoshana were so visibly close with each other as like a young brand new fan of this brand new show I think I was so like endeared by this notion that Shoshana and Megan were that close on stage and off and so I remember being very invested in their friendship when I was in like seventh or eighth Mm -hmm. grade so I just really like that I love that I'm honestly surprised like hearing you say that it feels like textbook like PR to hype up the real life friendship between the two leads of wicked like i'm surprised that's not more of a thing in the wicked culture yeah it feels like that now but i don't know i i wonder if that was i don't think that was the intention for that but i'm just saying like i'm surprised that hasn't been an employed like tactic now yeah um that was great thank you i want to see this picture oh i will send it to you Oh, the first Glinda Corner. I guess it's not, though, because you guys got Julia Murney last week, but we technically recorded that before the new year. Yeah, and this wasn't really a Glinda Corner. This was like a... Don't sell yourself short, all right? Quincy, thank you. I'm trying to do less of that in 2021, (laughs) so... Guys, new year, same us. New year, same us. Some really exciting... Well... We have pseudo confirmations from some really exciting guests. So if everything works out, you guys are in for pretty thrilling next couple of months. Yeah, I agree. I hope that our the excitement level of our episode last week with Julia Murney is a good omen, a good indication mm-hmm. for all of the really cool stuff that we have coming up. Really, really cool. Really, really fun. I hope Kevin and I are able to keep a lid on our fangirlness with these next guests um so before <laughs> any anyone on twitter tries cracking any codes, oh my we, there is no information being given i mean i guess we could talk about that now we, we like accidentally well it didn't accidentally we put a boomerang on our instagram kevin story. put a boomerang i would have blurred a little but you know what's funny quincy is i literally like went to take that and then saw that i could see her name on my screen so i scrolled down not like not even thinking like the rest of the words would be but so we put this boomerang up right before we recorded with Julia Murney. And then when we finished, we looked at Twitter and somebody had like tagged us in a tweet that was like confirmed Julia Murney is the next guest on Sentimental Men. Here's the proof. And they like zoomed in and like made out the like blurry ass, like pixelated words on my Google Doc. And it wasn't like, yeah, because it wasn't Julia Murney's name. It was like he saw part of... He saw like party of the wild party. He saw the word party. Yeah, it said like party. I don't even remember. It was it was crazy. It was like honestly impressive. <laughs> impressive. Yes. That was me to a T in high school. Yeah. And I loved I honestly I was like, oh my God, this is the first time that we've had like a listener go this in on something. It was funny because like Kevin and I weren't like, oh, this is gonna be a hush hush reveal, like secret thing. 
you know, we just like weren't necessarily announcing who the guest was yet. But the fact that this listener was like, I cracked the code, I thought was so funny. Yeah. Um, guys, just excited for what's to come. Hopefully this year is better for all of us. Mm-hmm. Certainly January will get better and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, talk to you guys next week. Talk to you next week. Farewell. Hasta la vista. Happy 2021, everybody. 2021. Can't wait for the Wicked revival. Oh yeah. Oh, hopefully we see Wicked in this year. I'm not even going to say hopefully. I'm going to say we're doing it. Okay. Kevin is more optimistic than I am. I'm putting it out there. I think we will see Wicked this time next year. Interesting. Much sadder than my idea. All right. On that note, bye, guys. <laughs> yeah, bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Sentimental Men. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi. Thanks to Julia DeMarzo for our thrillifying artwork. And thanks to you for tuning in. You can reach us at sentimentalmenpod at gmail.com. Or on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at sentmenpod. That's S-E-N-T-M-E-N-P-O-D. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. Do you want to do Glinda Corner or no? Yeah, I can do a Glinda Corner. Okay. It's it's short and stupid. Yeah. Like Glinda. <laughs> <laughs>